The new school year is in full swing, so we thought it would be fun to see which heroes would make the best teachers. Schoolhouse Rock of Ages on the Nerd Byword starts now. Welcome into episode 162 of the Nerd Byword, where a couple of teachers share their love for all things nerdy. On today's episode, we have each built our own schools full of comic book characters serving as our faculty. But before we transition to our Byword Big Talk, it's been a very tough week for the nerd world, as we have lost some true giants and we'd like to pay tribute in this week's... Dave, truly one of the unsung heroes of animation and acting has left us. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't exactly plan for our news stories to be so so sad and solemn this week, but it kind of just worked out that way. Um, so we, uh, as of recording, just found out a couple of, well, about 24 hours ago, that Arlene Sorkin has passed away uh, at the age of 67. Uh, Sorkin, of course, has been uh, an actress for a long time. Um, she actually appeared on Saturday Night Live back in uh, 1982. Uh, she was on a sitcom called Duet in 1987, um, appeared in uh, Open House in 1989, Dream On in 1990. She was in Perry Mason, The Case of the Killer Kiss. Uh, so she was, uh, you know, a pretty seasoned pro by the time 1992 rolled around, and she became both the inspiration for and the voice actress of uh, Harley Quinn when the character was first developed for Batman the animated series and she has you know voiced that character for a, a very long time uh, she reprised the role in Superman the animated series Batman Beyond Return of the Joker Gotham Girls Justice League even Static Shock um, and she voiced a character in uh, DC Universe Online uh, and Batman Arkham Asylum the first of the Arkham trilogy of course uh, when she retired from the role um, she, um, you know, was, re uh, you know, replaced by Tara Strong, uh, who has, uh, you know, also made great contributions to the, that character. Um, besides Harley Quinn, uh, she's probably also most famous for, uh, appearing on, uh, daytime soap opera days of our lives. Um, we saw the, uh, I think the announcement was made by James Gunn on Twitter that she had passed away. And you, you and I have talked about Harley Quinn and the character and the, the history of that character quite a bit. Um, and how I in particular have, you know, a, a very strong love for this original incarnation of the character, you know, Jester outfit and all um, before she, you know, kind of was kind of turned into DC's answer to Deadpool, I guess, in a lot of ways, sort of meta, sometimes fourth wall breaking kind of character. I really like this original incarnation of Harley Quinn when you go back to the the original tent behind the character uh it's one of my favorite characters period so uh it's a it's a huge loss uh somebody of of sorkin's caliber and the impact she's had on on the nerd world yeah i was a kid that um whether it was my mom or if i was at grandma's house like we were watching days of our lives so i i remember seeing her on there as well um in addition to to batman the animated series and and for both of us you know our very first episode it was one of those formative series um that was was really impactful to our childhoods and our upbringings and i think um i think harley quinn and Ar arlene sorkin's performance in that um is is one of the primary reasons behind that um and and it's just really hard with us losing Kevin Conroy last year, um, it just it just it's almost like a a wake up call as to like the the kind of how, like how we're aging, I guess, and um, it, it kind of kind of gives you kind of a grasp on your own mortality, uh, and so just so unfortunate that two Batman the animated series and DC animated staples. Uh, DC legends uh, have have lost uh, we've lost in the past year. 
yeah um and i think there's a point for that we are definitely i think starting to feel our age with so many icons of our childhood slowly passing um yeah i I think it is definitely one of those things that makes you more aware of your own mortality and also that um you know things have changed and the things that were important to you in in your childhood are you know fading away slowly um there, there is a, a definitely a deep philosophical undercurrent here of, of of sadness for a loss of youth, a loss, a loss of innocence, and and a loss of a just a fantastic performer who had a huge impact. Which, uh, which brings us to your news story, Chris. Uh, yeah. So over the past few years, I've fallen back in love with professional wrestling, namely with WWE. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed rekindling the fire that was so ever present throughout my childhood, both by reminiscing on years and wrestlers past, uh, as well as basking in the storytelling and superstars who have taken up that mantle in the current scene. Uh, but we first said goodbye to WWE Hall of Famer Terry Funk, the OG hardcore cowboy of sports entertainment at age 79 this past week. His bouts with Mick Foley in particular are really uh, put the subgenre of hardcore matches on the map for me as a kid uh, and learning more about his early days and his impact on the history of the sport was, was really powerful as well. Uh, and then the wrestling world was truly stunned and heartbroken by the unexpected passing of superstar Bray Wyatt at just age 36. Uh, Wyatt, whose will, real name was Wyndham Rotunda, was truly one of the most ambitious and creative minds in the world of professional wrestling. He was willing to push boundaries creatively, get into arguments uh, with Vince McMahon. Uh, there's still some some testiness of that relationship. Um, perhaps most notable for his alter ego, The Fiend. Uh, but behind the scenes was reportedly, according to superstars and the tributes that they've shared since, one of the most pure and kind souls to his fellow superstars. Uh, he was one of my kiddos' favorites. And being that he was just a year older than... I am currently now that really stings and is truly a wake up call. Um, Smackdown this past Friday had had incredibly touching tributes to both men and needless to say, it was really emotional experience for me. Uh, So all thoughts and all prayers go to both of these men's families, to Armin Sorkin's families during this time. Yeah. um, You know, I have not had a chance yet to really rekindle my love of professional wrestling. I'm still very much stuck in the attitude era of it all. Um, attempts to get back into things have been, you know, difficult for me. Um, so I'm not, I'm not really familiar um, with uh, with Bray Wyatt. However, you know, lo- losing somebody so young is is always a tragedy. Uh, I saw, you know, the news of Terry Funk's passing. I think Mick Foley, um, you know, posted about it on social media, and that's how it came to my attention. And uh, I, <laughs> I have to say that uh, that 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 kind of, you know tossed me for a loop you know intellectually you understand that time is passing and these people are aging um but in your heart you know they're still the same people that you've watched over and over again and on on you know tape and on dvd in these classic matches and so uh what a huge loss uh to the to the world of professional wrestling like some all-time classics what a what a tough tough man terry funk was and and what a performer um just a huge loss i think to professional wrestling it feels a little bit like, you know, you lost a piece of the past and a piece of the future of the business in one right. in one sitting there. Yeah, it's it's it's, pr- it's pretty crazy. Uh, after this first break, we're going to come back with our byword big talk. Welcome back. It is our main segment. We call it our byword. And as stated in our intro, school's in full swing. Personally, we just finished up week three, heading into uh, week four. Um, Some schools just now going back. Um, But we thought it'd be fun, uh, similar to what we did with building our own rock bands, if we built our own faculties. So we each have our own school. Uh, We have our four core academic content areas. But as someone who teaches an elective class... Uh, I, I wanted to show some love. So we do have two electives that we both could choose. 
Um, so we're going to start off with my least favorite subject and the one that took me the longest time to find a faculty member for. Dave, who is teaching math in your school? Yeah, in my school, there is only one man that can teach one of the hardest subjects of my life <laughs> because yeah. it's definitely not a tendency of mine. I will freely admit I, uh, I have taught some math uh, and I used to tutor um, remedial math to uh, you know college freshmen. That was one of many jobs that I had trying to make my way through school. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tough subject. <laughs> and so I decided to go straight to the smartest man in the DC universe. And that is, of course, Mr. Terrific Michael Holt. Um, the character was created by uh, John Ostrander and Tom Mandrake. Uh, it first appeared in uh, Spectre, Volume 3, uh, number 54, in June of 1997. Um, he's probably most closely associated at this point with uh, the Justice Society of America. He's made uh, multiple appearances, was at one point the chairperson of the Justice Society. Um, and uh, we've had a live-action version, of course, in the CW, Arrowverse, and uh, the character is also set to appear in Superman Legacy in 2025, if that date holds, given uh, the situation in Hollywood right now. Um, but th the cool thing about this character is uh, that he has, as he himself has said in the comics, a natural aptitude for having natural aptitudes. Like, he he will figure about out about anything. He is by far... Uh, the most intelligent character in the DC universe. Um, Batman fans come at me, okay? Michael holds smarter, deal with it. Um, and as such, I think there's probably nobody better suited to teach uh, math at my school than Mr. Terrific himself. Yeah, so this is a character that um, has always kind of been on my radar for the past couple of years. He shows up on my social media timelines. Um, and then when he was confirmed to show up in superman legacy i was like okay it's time so i'm i'm definitely i have i'm so i'm stretched pretty thin when it comes to my reading habits my entertainment habits but there's there's a deep dive coming very soon for me and there should come because i think he is uh as far as like 1990s created characters i think he's really at the top of the list he's absolutely a uh, a fantastic character and if you want if you want to read something really wild I think, um, you know, that time period uh, where Marvel wasn't doing a Fantastic Four book because of the whole rights and everything in, in, the, in the cinematic side? It's the same time that X-Men was kind of shunned to the side, right? They actually did a series over at DC that was basically like a Fantastic Four replacement. It was called The Terrifics, and it was led by by Mr. Terrific. And it's, <laughs> it sounds so silly, but it's an absolutely fantastic book. And, and I, think you'd really, I think you'd really like it, man. All right, so talking about math, who is uh, who's teaching who's teaching that radical math at your school? <laughs> oh my gosh! So like, <laughs> I'm I'm typically at odds with some of the brainiacs of the Marvel universe, and I'm not well steeped enough to make commentary on DC in most cases. Um, but I think, like, I'm not putting Reed Richards on my faculty. I can't stand him, so he can get wrecked. He's he's not. I'm not hiring Reed Richards. That's just not happening. Um, so when I think about math and the teachers that I I performed well for are ones that were stern, but like also relatable and someone that like was aspirational to me. So my my algebra two teacher was the basketball coach. He was he was strict and he was stern, but like I had that connection of, of loving sports with him and he was super relatable. Um, the hardest class that I have ever taken in my scholastic journey was senior level trigonometry that I did not even need. I just took because my friends were in there and it was the only C I ever made in high school. And I was lucky to make a C. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea why I took it. It was really, really stupid. But I did enjoy the teacher, and she pushed me towards greatness. Um, while, while being stern, uh, I remember a, a class policy that she had was if you wanted to borrow a pencil, that's fine. You had to give some collateral, and as soon as you returned a pencil, you got it back. I gave her my car keys as collateral and forgot to give the pencil back. And so 
come to the end of the school day, get all the way to my vehicle with no keys. And I had to sprint across campus to go get my keys back. And thankfully she had not left for the day. Um, So I'm going with one of my all time favorite characters, period, who is stern, but also is relatable and is truly like ride or die for mutant kind and for his people. And so is compassionate and cares. I'm talking about, of course, none other than Scott Summers, AKA Cyclops. Um, And some of my favorite X-Men titles were even during those film right disputes and where they were trying to can the mutants. Uh, They tried to decimate them. They tried to kill them with an inhuman fart cloud. Um, And yet Cyclops always rose above. Um, And, some of my favorite X-Men stories are also when he was co-headmaster uh, of the the school, the Xavier School, the Jean Grey School, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I love me some Scott Summers. And even though it's my least favorite subject, if I have to do math, I'm going to pick one of my faves to teach it. And I will say it makes perfect sense that uh, your faculty is absolutely loaded with X-Men. Uh, since so many of those characters, you know, used to be stuck at that darn school, as you like to say. Indeed. So many of them, many of them have been uh, have been teaching, uh, you know, in in continuity of the of the actual Marvel universe. So uh, I think I think this makes perfect sense, since so many of them actually have teaching experience. All right, Dave, you went for the low hanging fruit with your science teacher, but I respect it. Yeah, I don't care, man. It can be as low-hanging as it wants to because I don't think I've ever, uh, in all of my reading of Spider-Man, enjoyed the character more than when he was a science teacher. And so if if science is going to be taught by a superhero at my school, then it's going to be Peter Parker, Spider-Man. Um, I don't think I have to really talk about Spider-Man and who he is as I did with Mr. Terrific because he's a much more high-profile character. But I think it just it, it just pays to once again reiterate that uh you know he that the character has had you know a lot of different you know quote unquote jobs you know the most notable probably being you know freelance photographer um and then you know running his own his own business there for a while um but i think the most relatable and i not not just because you know I, i've been a teacher but the most one of the most relatable things one of the most grounded and real world that felt the most like a fit for him as a character it was when he was a teacher. And I think that's because the character naturally is um, both in and out of the mask, somebody who cares and wants to help others. And so finding a role for him uh, in his civilian identity that does that is is sort of a, a great and natural fit. And uh, J. Michael Straczynski, who introduced that as, as a concept, um, I don't think in his run got to do as much with that um, as could have been done. Um, I think that there was a lot more storytelling potential with, uh, you know, Peter working as a teacher at his, at his former high school. And so um, I would love to see a return to that as a setup. Um, and I think Spider-Man naturally as a caring individual, as somebody who has, you know, experienced um, bullying and, and feeling like an outsider as a teen himself, um, is naturally in a position to be a, a really good friend and mentor to teenagers. On top of that, uh, you know, one of the great underappreciated things in many of, of Spider-Man's run is that he is a science genius who can stand toe-to-toe with any of, of Marvel's great minds. And and so keeping that in mind, I think there's probably nobody more qualified to teach science uh, at my school than Peter. Yeah, I I will say that that era of Spider-Man is one of my all-time favorites. Not only the A book by Straczynski and quite often, more often than not, JRJR on art, um, but the B and the C books even with with spectacular Absolutely. and with sensational. Some of those, some of those kind of filling in the blanks of what it meant for him being a teacher. I remember succinctly, like there was one of those titles where there was a student with an incredibly rough home life that he made like a home visit and like did, you know, some of those things you see on the news is like uplifting teacher stories. And so um, some of the most powerful storytelling and, you know, as Peter Parker, as the quote unquote, every man of Marvel of comics at large, perhaps, I think, you know, putting him in that role as a public school teacher is such a perfect fit. Um, I, I've been 
kind of unimpressed when it comes to his employment otherwise. I think trying to put him back at the bugle and the the ever-changing landscape of what journalism is nowadays is has been hit or miss for me. And then just putting him in a lab coat is even more so. Like with insert industries, insert science company, now Oscorp. Um, Parker Industries is, is, was not it for me. I, I never enjoyed anything about the Parker Industries. I think it was disingenuous to the character. I think none of don't don't make me don't make me get on my soapbox. (laughs) None of Parker Industries work for me. It was fine when he was Auto, but like that, all of that was so forgettable. I sometimes forget it happened completely. So yeah, I'm right there with you. I think I think Spider Man as a character has always been at his best on a street level. You know what I mean? the 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 simpler and more relatable and more true to life he can be as a person and as a character the better anytime it gets too fantastical they kind of stray from what is the, the the core of the character so when he becomes you know a guy in a lab coat he's not you know he's not that friendly neighborhood spider-man you know he's not he's not street level he's not connecting with people and i think some of his best stories are always the ones where he connects with with people you know that's why his supporting cast i think is so important to his stories um it's those connections that make his stories the the grand soap opera that you know that that stanley and steve did go started and and so the bugle stuff you know was fine i think when he was first starting out as a character um but he is not, you know, he's not a journalist, I think is the best way to put it. You right. know, like he right. is a freelance photographer who happens to take pictures of himself, you know, kind of disingenuous because he's really hard up for money. So there's a there's a built-in dishonesty in that setup that I don't think does the character any favors. Um, if you want to explore journalism in a modern setting, I think somebody like Lois Lane uh, and, and Clark Kent are much better set up because they're actually working as journalists. Um, shout out, shout out to my so, guy Ben Urick, who I have absolutely loved his run this last couple of years. Oh, oh, it's just a great character. I don't know if you, uh, you know, I tell you another one that was actually quite good for that was when they did um, when Bendis did the Pulse with with Jessica Jones. There was a lot of journalism under undercurrents there too that were really interesting. Um, I I ran across that doing my Jessica Jones read through, and I really like you know a, a large part of that as a way of you know exploring the bugle stuff. Um, but I think this is the more like like Peter Parker is a mensch, you know, and so being a public school t- teacher is one of those jobs where you just have to be a mensch, and he it's just such a natural fit. So, but yeah, I, I will be in my soapbox about that particular era of Spider Man forever. So let's just move on. Uh, who who is going to teach science at your school? I I think some of the best teachers have real life experience in the content areas that they teach. Um, and if you read some of those early um, X Men comics post Giant Size, I think some of the most beautiful stuff, some of the, the stuff that I really enjoyed is how much Aurora Monroe Storm loves plants, loves the natural world, loves being in the elements. And so my science teacher is Storm. And I know that she is a woman of many job titles currently being on Araco, still being on the Quiet Council for the time being, uh, as it stands with Krakoa TBD on that very much, because Krakoa doesn't exist anymore. Um, but maybe we can work with the sliding time scale. Uh, maybe she could teach an online class. Um, but yeah, I, I think particularly if if we were doing um, like weather science, I mean, come on, or even biology, as much as she loves plant life and the natural world and as much experience as she has with it, I can't I can't think of a better fit than Storm. I mean, as the Beyonce of comics, I'm not going to not have her on my faculty. Yeah, yeah. And once again, you know, going back to that school, uh, you're, you're cribbing a lot from the mutant school uh, <laughs> over there as far as like teachers go, but it makes sense. It's a, it's a really natural fit, I think. Um, any, any lessons on, on weather ought to be really, really interesting, I would say. <laughs> yeah, we're going on a field trip, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, Dave, another slam dunk, in my opinion, for your social studies teacher. Like, this is your wheelhouse uh, to a lesser extent mine, but I mean, like, no brainer here. Yeah, I think uh, I think Steve Rogers is a is a natural fit here, not just because he, uh, you know, lived a lot of 20th century history uh, as Captain America, but if you look at the breadth of the storytelling um, that you know you know he has experienced as a character and the kind of situations he's been in, like he has been he has fought on behalf of the U.S. government, but he has also stood against the U.S. government and its various agencies before when necessary. Can you imagine a civic, civics class taught by Steve Rogers? The amount of uh, you know uh, civic uh, civil disobedience that he would espouse alone would be absolutely fantastic. Like be loyal to your government while your government is loyal to you, kind of thing. I think there's a really interesting American history class coming out of this man for sure. But probably an he, even it, more. It cannot interesting... be your your school cannot be located in the state of Florida. So. Correct Amunde. I think a civics, <laughs> I think a civics civics class or U.S. government class uh, taught by him would be even more interesting than a history class, just because of you know his strong moral fiber, his very very specific views on the role of government. Um, I think that would be a that would be some fascinating lectures in that classroom, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know it's it's always been of the four academics, it's always been far away my favorite, and so I think this is just perfect. Um, uh, one of my favorite comic book series. Um, I think it was my first ever nerd commendation, in fact, or, or one of the first few episodes uh, was History of the Marvel Universe by Mark Wade. Um, and seeing how prominently, rightfully so, he features in that, I think it's just kind of a, a, a pleasant reminder of how integral Steve Rogers is to that role. Um, and as you said, like willing to stand up for what is right and what is just um there's that one quote in like the civil war era uh, amazing spider-man about uh, i'll i'll look it up here because it's really really powerful um about standing up for what you believe in i think a lot of people give um like civil war like a lot of flack um mark miller is what he is like um and, and sometimes it's hit and sometimes it's missed, but um, uh, here, here it is. So it uh, doesn't matter what the press says, doesn't matter what the politicians or the mob say, doesn't matter if the whole country decides that something is wrong, is something right. This nation was founded on the principle, above all else, the requirement that we stand up for what we believe, no matter the odds or the consequences. When the mob and the press and the whole world tell you to move, your job is to plant yourself like a tree next to the river of truth and tell the whole world, no, you move. And that's just the hardcore ethos of Steve Rogers. Now, again, that might get him some, some hot water with the local school board. Um, but I mean, when you're right, you're right. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I, I wholeheartedly echo you just whatever you just said there. Uh, it's word for word, the truth about the character. And one of the things I appreciate about him uh, to me he is he's Marvel Superman, you know, a strong moral center, um, even if the powers are significantly different and their role in the larger Marvel Universe and DC Universe respectively is different. I think they are probably the characters that are the most alike as far as their moral fiber. Um, and I always appreciated that about him. So if I love Superman, I kind of have to love Steve Rogers by default. Now, I really uh, like your pick for social studies teachers. Well, I think uh, there there's a really interesting perspective there. So what have you got, Chris? Well, especially if you're caught up on the current IDW comics um, or even just the first volume, that first um, first trade paperback that I recently just reread. Um, my, my history professor is Hamato Yoshi. You might know him as Splinter. And... As I said previously with with Storm, I I love teachers who have real world experience. And what better to have a reincarnated individual who actually lived through feudal Japan teach a history course. So, um, I mean, like most of the time you also have like teachers, a lot of social studies teachers who always have that sage wisdom to share with you. So, yeah, uh, the the OG single dad uh 
is going to represent uh, my my history in social studies department. And that makes perfect sense. Who better to deal, uh, you know, with a bunch of uh, teenagers <laughs> than a guy who spent right. his entire life t- taking care of mutant teenage turtle te- uh, teenagers, right? So <laughs> it doesn't get better than that. Uh, but yeah, I, I like the uh, I like the the world history angle here, uh, especially. I think that's a, that's a really cool angle to take and a really cool character to put into a teaching role. Um, yeah, I think Splinter is naturally a teacher anyway, so putting him in that role is uh, is perfect. Now, you you caught me off guard with your ELA pick because I thought it was going to be a different subject they were teaching, but I will say that there's probably going to be a lot of writing in your ELA class. You better believe that. And uh, although I could have put a journalism elective in here, I think it'd be much more fun to put Lois Lane in in the position of of English language arts teacher. Um, Not the least of which, because in many incarnations, she seems to be a little bit spelling challenged. Um, And I think it's interesting to put a character like that in in the classroom and kind of make her struggle through her own weaknesses and, and kind of try to overcome those at the same time as she's teaching. But I mean... The lady has a Pulitzer or two for a reason, right? She is a fantastic writer, and who better to teach kids how to how to write and how to communicate ideas clearly uh, than than somebody like Lois Lane? Like, I just I just need some Lois Lane in my school. That's just plain and simply the truth, and and this is a great spot for her, I think. Yeah, no arguments here. Like I said, I thought I thought you were going to go journalism route, but at the same time, I could totally see her as one of those like really cool English professors who's pretty strict, but like just is is a whole vibe uh as the kids say like she's got her glasses her reading glasses on top of her head maybe around her her neck on like a a necklace or something like i i could totally see her and that there's her desk is stacked with books and papers and stuff she's yet to grade like i totally get that vibe from her absolutely man I, i i think she would be fun to see in a teaching role period all right so who have you got for your language arts position chris Listen, like I said earlier, when in doubt, put my faves there. Um, as I said with with Cyclops, the, one of the greatest and most underrated times is that Academy X era post-decimation where Cyclops and Emma Frost were co-headmaster and headmistress of the Xavier Institute for Higher Learning. I love Emma Frost to the moon and back. She's one of my all-time favorite characters in comics. I've really come the other way because I had a really bad introduction to the character. Um, she also, um, was a teacher, uh, at the Massachusetts Academy way back in the eighties under Claremont also during the, uh, the generation X, um, in the nineties. So like one of, one of the most tenured professors, believe it or not on this list has actually been leading a classroom or leading a school. And I just get ELA vibes from her. Like, She's the cool, maybe the hot teacher everybody has a crush on. Spoiler. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I, I love Emma Frost. And there, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone in X-Comics, in Marvel Comics, that that does it for children. Um, I mean, like, one of the resounding lines from the Krakoan era is, once more, for the children. Um, she was part of the Genosian decimation at the hands of Cassandra Nova in um, in Grant Morrison's run right there at the beginning, X is for extinction um, and had to live through that. And so she has always been focused. She lost her, her, her first group, the Hellions back in the eighties under Claremont. She has always been focused on kids and that's the number one requirement for me when it comes, regardless of what content area you teach, regardless of your experience or qualifications, you have to love kids and I don't think anybody on my roster loves kids more than Emma Frost. Yeah, I agree with you uh, that uh, I've had a very bad introduction to the character um, and that I'm not exactly well enough read in um, in X-Men lore to have a better opinion of her than what little bit I've read of her previously from probably the wrong kind of writer to introduce me to the character. Uh, he who shall um, not be named a certain vampire slayer creator. Yeah, but uh, from, you know, various excerpts and stuff uh, from comic books that I've seen on social media, um, my my sense is that 
uh, she is definitely a teacher at heart and one that cares about about children. So I think that's a really good fit, at least from what little I know of the character. All right, next up, we had two electives. And fi- go figure, we both chose theater as our first, first elective. Who is your theater professor, Dave? Well, I will say I have I have a history in theater myself. I spent a lot of time in the theater program in college, even though I didn't have any intention of... Uh, you know, majoring in it or anything. I had just so much fun that I, you know, I performed in a couple of plays. I took several theater classes. Um, I think it's actually benefited me as far as like, uh, you know, teaching has gone um, as I think there's a certain amount of, of stage performance that goes along with the job. Yeah. So I think it's been beneficial to me. Uh, so I kind of go a little bit in the left field here. This is definitely somebody who performs on stage, but my teacher for theater uh, would be Zatanna Satera, uh, who is a stage magician in DC Comics. Uh, she has very uh, long history in DC Comics. She was actually created by uh, Gardner Fox and Murphy Anderson. She first appeared in Hawkman number four in November of 1964. Um, she is the daughter of another stage magician character, Zatera, who uh, in the initial storyline is missing and she's looking for him. Um, and it's kind of a story that kind of crosses through a whole bunch of different DC comics and then ends up uh, with a climax in uh, uh, Justice League, uh, which was uh, at the time also written by Gardner Fox. Uh, the character's gone through several different reinventions, obviously, but uh, she's actually this this incredible uh, you know reversal. You know, instead of being an illusionist who is like creating tricks on stage, she's an actual real magician who is passing off her magic as tricks when she's on stage. Um, but she's shown time and time again to have great stage presence. It's very theatrical, um, very popular with her stage show. And so I think she would be uh, a natural fit to teach, uh, you know, a theater class. I think she would be fantastic and kind of just like, how do you, how do you project a presence on stage? How do you captivate people's attention? You know, I, I think she's the perfect character to do something like that. Yes, yeah, so I'm very much on the ground floor with my experience and exposure to this character. A couple episodes of Young Justice, a couple of other animated universe clips that have come across the timeline. Um, but I know that there's a wild popular fandom and following for her. Um, and I've enjoyed what I've seen. And and I totally get your pitch and, and I'm sold on it. Yeah, so you also picked theater. And uh, I, I actually loved your pick for, uh, for a theater teacher. Once again, going to that school, man. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, but listen, I, I'm a sucker for a swashbuckler. You know, um, I've always been a fan of the, the D'Artagnan saga by Dumas. Dumas is my all-time favorite author. Uh, Count of Monte Cristo, like that romanticist, like very showy, um, type of literature and I, there's no better encapsulation of that i think in comics than kurt wagner uh nightcrawler um he's very much uh i mean direct inspiration for the character came from errol flynn robin hood so i mean another swashbuckling character that i absolutely love uh, and so i think there's no one uh at marvel who has a better grasp of theatrics and showmanship I mean, you look at those that Claremont run there where he's disappearing into the shadows and all you see is his eyes disappearing in a puff of smoke. There's the smell of brimstone behind it. So, I mean, like you have the special effects, um, you know, as a pro wrestling fan, like I can I can see the 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 push there. Uh, so no one better to teach theater for me than than Kurt Wagner. Absolutely. I'll, I'll wholeheartedly echo that. Um, and maybe that's just because he's German and I need some, you know, I need some German blood in there. I actually considered, I actually considered bringing him on board as, uh, as my uh, foreign language teacher for German before I saw that you'd already picked him for theater. So I, th- I thought that would have been a really cool fit as well. All right. Another one of your faves, Dave, for a surprising second elective. Yeah. So uh, I thought, you know, intro business or, uh, you know, something along those lines is a, is a really good uh, elective to have in your school. And I think uh, 
most people would probably go to somebody like Bruce Wayne, you know, uh, and I would say maybe not because let's be honest, Batman is, uh, you know, not exactly that involved in his business <laughs> uh, at, uh, at Wayne Enterprises. And uh, I would say Tony Stark's probably not a good fit for this either because he spends most of his money on, you know, what is it these days? Not booze, but he's gotten kind of gotten out of that thing. But, you know, mostly like his own toys and stuff. I don't think any of them are necessarily great business people, right? But uh, there's a character they're both, over at they're DC. They're both trust fund babies. They they they're, yeah. they have af, they have affluenza, as John McEnroe would say. Yes, and 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 so this character is actually very much self-made, and that is Power Girl Karen Starr, who is of course um, uh, Kara Zor-El from Earth Two, who uh, you know when reality was writ- rewritten, got stranded on the Prime Earth for DC. Uh, she's an older, more experienced version, so to speak, of of Supergirl, and uh, has you know kind of carved out her own niche now, uh, with uh, you know her civilian identity, Karen Starr, actually starting a business. Uh, I think it started as a software company, um, and then slowly kind of rose through the ranks and became a real you know success story. And uh, you know now she's a CEO, and well. I know that she's going through a bit of a reinvention in the pages of uh, of action comics right now. But uh, she, you know, last, last incarnation that I read regularly, she was a, you know, fairly well-to-do CEO. She obviously started at the ground floor. She did not have affluenza. And so who better to teach about what it takes to uh, to create a business and to run it successfully and make it a success story than somebody who had to literally start at the ground floor and, and build that business out of nothing. Literally, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, survivor of a entire universe that is gone. She had to start from scratch and made herself a success story. I mean, this is the perfect person to teach a little bit about how business is supposed to work. Yeah. I love that. And that real world experience, like I said, was kind of consistent with, um, with my picks. So I, I can definitely respect it. And I see a real window of opportunity there. If you catch my drift. Ha 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 ha. Now your uh, your next elective is also really interesting, and I absolutely adore uh, your pick. Yeah, so listen, um, uh, I'm gonna be creative with the timeline like I was earlier because he would have to probably no longer be a teenager. But uh, Donatello Hamato or Hamato Donatello, you know, it gets different when in in Japan they typically have an inverse Hamato Yoshi. Um, I was I was watching the the most recent uh, Ninja Turtle movie. Uh, mutant mayhem which really really great and once this strike gets over hopefully we can review it soon um but they were there's like a a great great running joke about how they don't know their last name and i just keep yelling at the screen it's hamato it's hamato (laughs) but um but yeah donatello is my stem teacher he does machines and you know science technology engineering uh and mathematics i mean like who better to be a cool youthful interactive, relatable, fun-loving STEM teacher than Donatello. I think it's just a pitch-perfect fit. I'm really proud of this one. Um, And I think like the hands-on activities, if you're a kinesthetic learner and you learn best by doing, I think Donatello is the teacher for you. Yeah, I have to say, bravo. That is a great pick for the perfect class. Um, And I think he'd be a really interesting teacher as well, just from his personality. especially as depicted in the IDW series. So I think this is a this is a fantastic pick. Um plus who doesn't want a giant turtle on their faculty? Like that's got to make faculty meetings interesting, right? Like let's just let's just go for it, man. This is awesome. Hey, I got a rat too. So I mean, I've got color me a uh, diverse group here. <laughs> <laughs> um that wraps up our byword big talk we have our lists of faculty here who did we miss uh what electives would you add uh to the curriculum and who would teach those uh who would be your core academic picks uh hit us up on social media at nerd by word uh when we come back from our final break we're going to nerd command some good stuff for you We're back here for your favorite segment in mine. We call it.
And in this segment, we like to recommend the good stuff that we've been enjoying and that we think that you should check out too. Uh, Dave, what is your pick for this week? So we've we've had a bit of discussion about your pick already uh, before we started recording, and I almost wanted to put that on my list, but I decided to back off and, and let you take the pick. Um, because there is another book that I've read this week that I uh, you know really, really adored. And uh, I definitely want to nerd comment that. I see the I see the creative team, and I'm already in. I'm already going to read it today. It's the creative <laughs> it's, team. It's a black label book from DC, Superman: The Last Days of Lex Luthor. And my understanding is that this is going to be a three part uh, series. Uh, it's uh, oversized. Uh, I think the page count on the first issue was uh, 48 pages, so it's uh, it's a fairly hefty uh, book. Uh, it is written by Mark Wade and features art by uh, Brian Hitch. Um, and here is the tagline from directly from DC Comics. Uh, Superman learns Lex Luthor is dying, and he wants the Man of Steel to help him find the cure for whatever is causing his rapid decline. While the world wants to say good riddance to Luthor, Superman will go to the ends of the universe, through different dimensions, and across time to save his foe. But just why does he want to save the person who spent his life trying to destroy him? And will he even be able to find the solution? Uh, this is just such a great, great concept for a Superman story. Because it's one of those things that is so very core Superman, right? Like the, Lex Luthor has been trying to kill Superman forever. But as soon as Lex comes to him and just honestly says, dude, I'm dying and I need your help. Superman is just Superman. He cannot say no. He 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 just values life and he's going to try to help help Lex Luthor live. Um, and what's really interesting here is that we're getting, you know, Wade really at, at his best. Uh, his writing is super sharp here. And Wade has always been one to really get Superman, but also get Lex Luthor. There's also a nice... Um, callback here uh for fans of the notion that uh, clark kent and lex luther met in smallville um that was a very common thing when they dc back in the day was doing superboy stories right they had a, a young lex luther there in fact i have the comic book hanging on my wall here framed uh where you find out that it's superboy's fault that lex lost his hair you know like that that was a big story point back in the day so we get some flashbacks here that they actually knew each other and something happened in their past that makes uh, Superman kind of feel responsible for Lex in some ways, uh, which is one of the reasons that he wants to help him here. Um, and they go to Candor, they travel to the Phantom Zone, and they're you know trying all these avenues to try to find a cure for Lex Luthor. And it's it's an absolute fantastic interplay. I think any time that you can put Lex and and Superman together in some way with the same goal and see their attitude towards each other and their differences as characters. Um, I think you get really interesting stuff. Grant Morrison did this really well in an issue of all-star Superman when, when Clark and Lex are trying to like survive this prison riot. Right. And you see how they kind of play off of each other. I think this is something like that, but amplified to a great degree. Um, the art looks fantastic. Uh, the writing is, is is sharp as all get out. It's just a really, really fun book. And I'm very, very curious to see uh, where they're going with this one, Chris. Yeah, you took the words right from my mouth. Um, a lot of people want to make a big thing about Batman and the Joker being this model relationship for protagonist and antagonist, hero versus villain. But for my money even in my limited exposure and experience, it's it's Superman and Lex Luthor. And that issue in particular that you referenced of All-Star Superman, the prison riot, I think that perfectly encapsulates it. And and I, I'm dying to read this now. And knowing Mark Wade and, and Brian Hitch, like Brian Hitch is killing it on Secret Invasion. I can't remember if I've recommended that, but I'm I'm definitely right back in on that. And so seeing his art is always a welcome addition to my, my pull list. And then Mark Wade, I, I just talked about a book that I love of his earlier. Um, I'm, I'm definitely in on this. And it's fascinating to me too, because you're exactly right. I think the Batman Joker dynamic is not nearly as interesting as the Superman Lex Luthor dynamic. I think the Superman Lex dynamic is such that you can have a version of events where they knew each other as kids 
and it works. And you can have a version of events where they didn't meet until they were adults and it works. Uh, you know, that they just, it's a very interesting, but malleable relationship. And I think the Joker Batman dynamic is much more one note. I, 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 for I example, literally was going to say one note. Yes. It's, it's a clown and a bat guy. Like, yeah. I cannot see, for example, a writer making it work that the Joker and Bruce Wayne knew each other as kids, you know, or something like precisely, that. Like it would never. Precisely. And anytime it's, that it's he even that hinted at that, it's like, doesn't work. I even didn't like what Batman 89 did, where they actually went that the Joker killed, you know, Bruce Wayne's parents. I, I think even that connection is not, it, it does not work with that particular relationship back and forth between Batman and the Joker. I think it's just, it's a very specific, very rigid relationship between those two characters. Um, And and I've not read that. That adds a level of premeditation that I don't really ascribe to the Joker. Yeah. And I think, I think that's one of the reasons why, why Joker fatigue is, I think a real thing. I, I think that the character is oftentimes overused um, and people kind of get tired of him, but you know, you know, good luck finding somebody who's tired of Lex Luthor popping up in Superman stories. You know, like there's just there's something there that just works naturally, especially if the if the relationship is executed well. So this this book was you know top of my reading pile. It was just really really good stuff, Chris. Now your nerd commendation uh, may be the best single issue of a comic book i've read all year so i can't wait to talk about it let's go chris what you got i when we were looking for ideas for this episode i was like we could just talk about immortal thor for an hour now you beat me to the punch you you read it on wednesday when it released and i was so slammed i didn't get to read any comics wednesday but my god it was worth the wait uh, written by Al Ewing uh, with art by Martin Coccolo. Uh, I'm going to read the solicit here. The mighty Thor has gone by many names over the millennia in Norse myths. They call him Thunderer. Thor, he ha- has he been named and Thoridi. He is known as the keeper of Mjolnir, hero of ancient tales. But this day, what Thor is most of all is Allfather and the king of Asgard. He is worthy and he is triumphant. But with greater power than ever before, there inevitably also comes greater threats than ever before. If Asgardians are the gods to mere mortals, who are the gods to the Asgardians? If Thor is god of the storm, who is god of the superstorm? Enter the Elder Gods, ancient primal forces sent by Thor's own mother Gaia as part of a reckoning against both Asgard and Earth. But this is a Thor who can face down even the most impossible threats. This is the immortal Thor. Um, This was just an absolute feast. Artistically speaking, linguistically speaking, this is it. This is all due respect to Jonathan Hickman. This is Al Ewing's game. The, The comic book medium has a new leader for me. And for my personal taste, and it's Al Ewing. It was already neck and neck, but I think this this was Ewing supplanting Hickman. I think Hickman, um, who I still absolutely enjoy, uh, and you and I talked about this, is much less approachable than Al Ewing is. I think Al Ewing, you could pick up an issue of his and immediately get into it. You still have the a similar level, if not the same level of macro world building here's a data page to show you what i'm doing here's the grand scheme that i'm laying out um and and i'd venture to say that al did it with less real estate and less trust from the editorially speaking they were constantly canceling his series and so he would just take the same cast of characters that he wanted to tell a story with and just create a new series and so kind of see him here with kind of unfettered unchained um, with Immortal Thor is absolutely great. And what I love, somebody pointed this out on Twitter, as as beautiful as Immortal Hulk was, as wonderful as that story was, um, you have the undeniable Joe Bennett effect where you have um, an anti-Semitic person um, putting hidden imagery in the background and tainting what should have been a flawless and perfect book. And so this first issue, at least from Martin Coccolo, in collaboration with Al, I'm sure you have some beautiful background imagery 
that was really powerful to me. You have a Cyclops was right poster in the background in one of the scenes, which is always going to make me happy. You have a transgender flag in the background of that same scene. Um, and so it is, it was just really powerful on so many different levels. One of my all time favorite characters, my doppelganger getting the immortal treatment, I was already sold. And then adding this mythology, adding the complex of Thor's mom being a focal point, go figure Thor's mom being a focal point in a Thor comic. Um, but Gaia, like what are her motivations? Um, I I'm doing a de- I'm going to go do a deep dive on Utgard. Like, what is this? Like I'm in, in, in a thing like Norse mythology where like, I like to pride myself on being pretty up to snuff. Like, I'm ready to learn even more. Yeah, this one, uh, this one was exactly what I needed, man. Um, Immortal Hulk was a masterclass from a writing perspective. Like, it's just such a perfect run on the character. I think uh, it's going to go down as one of the all-time greats. And so, for Ewing to say, "I'm going to do Thor," and I'm going to call it Immortal Thor as a personal challenge, a self-challenge. That's crazy. Yeah, he's like, I, I'm going to try to live up to to Immortal Hulk with this book and do for Thor what I did for Hulk. And I'm like, holy crap, dude, the cojones on this man, right? And then he comes around and he actually delivers with this first issue something that absolutely blew me away. There are so many good moments in this book from start to finish. There is like, there is not an ounce of fat on this issue. It is just all muscle. It's It's just, it's flawless, man. I absolutely love... In the beginning, when old man yells at clouds, like Thor's just yes, like, I'm so yes. dis- I'm so disappointed in you. Get out of here. You know, the clouds are like, okay, I'm getting out. Like, I, I absolutely love that moment. What a moment. <laughs> you know, like, like, hey, I'm the god of, of the storm, and uh, you're not supposed to be storming right now, so get out of here. You know, like, <laughs> it was such a great moment. Um, and even like how they show... Uh, how, how they show his love for 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 Midgard, for Earth, and and how he interacts great, with people when he comes montage. to visit. Great, yeah, montage. it's just there, there is there is something a, a, an understanding, I think, of what makes Thor work on a on a on a sort of basic primal level in the single issue that I think a lot of writers miss when they come they come to the they come to the table with this high concept stuff, things that have never been done with Thor before. And I want to do something different, but they kind of lose sight in their high concept of like what makes the character work on a basic fundamental level. But this first issue, although it introduces some really interesting high concept stuff, it leads with, this is what makes the character work on a fundamental level. So I think it manages this first issue manages to sell the series alone on the back of, hey, we understand Thor. We understand what works about the character. The character is in good hands with us. And now watch us mess him up, you know? And and I'm just really excited to see where this is going. It is one of the singular most exciting first issues I have read all year. And I cannot wait to see where it goes, Chris. Yeah, and I know I know what you're going to say, but I'm telling you that what he's doing on X-Men Red is like the same level of stuff. Um and even if you don't understand all the characters and all their backstories, you know Storm is leading that book, um, and what he's what he's been able to do there with the Genesis War and all the complicated aspects, the subtextual stuff that's going on in X Men Red, and the character moments is just top notch comic books. And then to add this to his repertoire, to his resume, is just I mean, textual confirmation of a gender fluid Loki that. Loki now uses they them pronouns like that's that's absolutely like a subtle and beautiful thing and then where is Loki like what's going on there I can't wait to follow that thread I think it's also really important to note here that this is one of the things that they should have leaned in with Loki much much sooner yes you know yeah because Loki is such a fluid character in the mythology as yes. well and although I remember he sired a child ago, with a horse I mean come on Although I remember many moons ago uh, when J. Michael Straczynski was doing a run on Thor, he actually did this thing where Loki was like possessing the body of Sif for a while. And so Loki was female in that book. Um, 
I think this is a this is a much more natural place for Loki because it it fits so well with the mythology. Of it's a bigger com- it's a bigger commitment. Like we're making the subtext textual, and I love that. Yeah, it's it's a. I think it's a very smart move um, to to lean into that aspect of Loki a little more. Um, it's just it was just a really good book, man. I I I sometimes struggle to find the words when it comes to this one. You know, Immortal Hulk was like the 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 moment when I really took notice of Ewing. This is the moment where I realize I probably need to punt back and just go through everything he's read, written. Read, like everything. I need, I need read to, everything. I need just, everything. I just need to read everything that he's written. Like it's, it's, it's incredible what he's accomplished with the singular issue. I mean, there's been some really good Thor runs in recent years. Don't get me wrong. Right. So it's, it's high praise to say this is the most excited I've been about the character in years. Yeah, I love Jason Aaron's run. I loved what Donny Cates did. Torin Gronbeck, um, who is, is is a relative newcomer to me at least, um, and being of Scandinavian descent was was a great great couple of issues that she did. Um, I'm following her work uh, in other Marvel titles, but you know, Al came in. I, I mean, like it's it's a great time to be a Thor fan. Let me tell you. All right, that wraps up this episode. Let's 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 do the pitch thing, Dave, because I want to go reread this issue. Um, if you like what you heard today, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcasting platform. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Amazon, or nerdbyword.com. And of course, you can find us on social media. We'd love to hear your your take on the pod. We'd love to hear your take on these comics we're nerd commending. And of course, we'd love to hear your take on... Uh, who uh, you would have teaching at a school out of all these various superhero and comic book characters. So you can find us on social media at Nerd by Word and on certain platforms also individually at that Nerd Dave and at that Nerd Chris. The Nerd by Word is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.